The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the child born to you shall be called Holy, the Son of God. For behold, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for she who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Merry almost Christmas. I'm being very technical when I say almost Christmas because it's not Christmas. Not yet. I'm preaching on Mary this morning about the promise of the baby coming. Notice he's not here yet. Right? He's coming tonight. Notice we lit the fourth Advent candle. We have not yet lit the Christ candle. And at the end of the service, we're still going to pray our Advent collect about casting away the works of darkness in us. It's still Advent for a few more hours. And so bless you for coming twice on a Sunday to church. I know some of you think this is my Christmas service. Well, this is your Advent service. We'll see you again tonight. I'll be here. I don't know where you'll be, but I'll be here. It's Advent. It's the end of this season of waiting. And this evening, we will enter into the fullness of the celebration of who we've been waiting for. But for today, for this morning... We need to look at Mary and Gabriel in this moment and ask ourselves this question, how could Mary say yes? How did Mary, in verse 38, manage to say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. How did Mary say yes to this costly call? And here's the only answer that we can find in the scripture. How did Mary say yes to this costly call? Because she was full of grace. 
She was full of grace. Look at verse 28. What does the angel say to her? Greetings, O favored one. Verse 30, you have found favor with God. For many years, I always thought that meant Mary was sort of the most elevated of all women who ever lived, that God had been waiting for this moment when Mary would arrive and he'd say, oh, angels, gather around, thank God, well, thank me, I suppose, thank me that finally one has been born as the world that is sufficient to bear my son, right? That's what I always thought. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you, right? From those of a Roman Catholic background, that Mary is the most elevated of all women. But when you look at what the word grace means, that word favor in verse 28 and verse 30, it's the word grace, charis. Grace, biblically, is that which is unearned, unmerited. It is God's favor bestowed upon one undeserving. Now, Don't for a minute think that I'm downplaying Mary's incredible role in salvation history. She is the proto-apostle. She is the first to truly bear the king into the world. But let's remember that Mary is able to do this only because she has been graced with God. You have found favor with God, the angel says. Maybe the better way to translate it, you have found grace with God. Or maybe even better, grace has found you, Mary. Because that's what grace is. God's unearned, unmerited favor bestowed upon us. We've got to remember that Mary is a nobody in this, as the story begins. We forget that because she's the most famous woman in history. Right? We, we, everyone knows Mary, but remember that she's a nobody when the story begins. Her name is Mary, which is a very common name in Israel, Miriam, and she has no house that's worth even mentioning. Mary of what house? Well, let's not even talk about that, right? Her only claim to fame is she's betrothed to someone who's from the house of David. And she's from nowhere. She's from Nazareth. Nazareth, that backwater town. Y'all can fill in the blanks for where that might live in the United States, but that's Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel says in John chapter one about Nazareth? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? She's a nobody from nowhere, and frankly, she has nothing really to offer this story because three times we're told that she's a virgin, and this is supposed to be a birth story, so what does she have to offer to this story? A nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer, and yet God's call comes to her, and she says yes, because she's full of grace. She's graced. And here's the amazing thing. You and I like Mary, are also graced. You and I, like Mary, if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we are full of grace because we all have a similar call of bearing the king into the world. Yes, Mary has a very unique role. She's what we theologically call the Theotokos, the God-bearer, a unique role in salvation history. But you and I, every one of us, bears the king into this world. Through our witness, through our living, through our testimonies, we bear the Christ child into this world and we're graced to do it. So how does Mary say yes to this costly call? It's because she's full of grace and so are we. And let's be specific on how she's graced. She's graced with God's presence. She's graced with God's purpose for her life and she's graced with God's power. And so are we. See, first, Mary, and we, like Mary, are graced 
with God's presence. The angel says to her in verse 28, if you're there with me in Luke chapter one, the angel says to her, the Lord is with you. I mean, this is the very center of what it means to be God's people, that God chooses to be with us. The Lord is with you. It's about his presence in our lives, his promise to continually be present. Remember the call of Gideon back in Judges chapter six? That moment when God calls Gideon to save Israel. What's Gideon's response? Gideon says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the weakest in my father's house. And what does God say to him in response? He goes, oh no, you know, Gideon, you, you just have a very poor view of yourself. You need, you need to affirm yourself more. You need to feel better about yourself. No, God doesn't say that. God says, I will be with you. God in no way undercuts the reality of Gideon's puniness and patheticness. What God instead affirms is God's presence. It doesn't matter, Gideon, I'll be with you. I will be with you. It's why we rehearse this every time we gather in prayer together. On Sundays and through the week, when we in our Anglican tradition say, the Lord be with you, and what do you say? And also with you. We say this. I remember thinking it was really weird when I first became an Anglican. I was like, they do this Lord be with you thing and also with you. And they do it again and again. It's because we forget. And how central this is to what it means to be God's people. To be reminded one to another that God, the Lord of the universe is with you. This is the heart of what it means to be God's people. That we do not look out at the world or at our weakness and allow those realities to grab a hold of our attention, but instead we look at who's with us. That's the center of our reality. I remember hearing a podcast with Wayne Gretzky a number of years ago, who I'm convinced is the greatest hockey player who ever lived, and I'll fight you if you disagree with me on that, but Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player that ever lived, during the interview, they mentioned that some of his kids played hockey as well, and he talked about his son, Ty, Ty Gretzky, uh, who was playing hockey during high school, and the other players would often try and get in Ty's head as they'd skate by and say, you know, you're not as good as your father, and, and, and Wayne Gretzky said, he said, Ty's response was perfect. You know, the guy would go by and say, you're not as good as your father. He'd say, that's okay. You're not as good as my father either. <laughs> this is the way we understand the God who walks with us. That is, 1 John 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Lord is with you. God's presence, that is the first point of grace for us to live into this call. But secondly, God graces us with his purpose, our purpose, the purpose he's made us for. Verses 31 to 33. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a child and you shall call his name Jesus and he shall be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there'll be no end. It's the declaration of the king, the true king being born into the world. Mary, you're gonna bear the true king into the world. And friends, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we bear that king into the world as well. Our whole lives, the purpose of our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, 
Everywhere we go, we in our testimonies, in our witnesses, in the ways we live, in the ministries we support, everything we do is about bearing that king into the world. A world that is desperate for true kingship. Those words of Isaiah chapter 9 that we hear during the Christmas season, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, on them light has dawned. Why? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, of the increase of his government, of his peace, there will be no end. On David's throne and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is the promise of what it means that the true king comes into the world. The king that our world is desperate for, whether they know it or not. Our lives, our purpose are bearing this king, showing forth the reality of who the king of kings and the lord of lords is. This is the purpose of our lives. That king who will show us when that baby born in Bethlehem grows up and at 33 years of age will die hanging on a cross, bearing the sins of humanity. What is written above his head? Luke chapter 23, verse 38. What is written above his head? An inscription read, this is the king of the Jews. A man hanging, dying on a cross. This is the king of the Jews. It was meant as a mockery. They put it there to mock him, but in fact, it was a declaration to the universe. Behold, this is what a king truly looks like. A king who will pour himself out for his subjects. A king who will die for the weakest of the world. A king who's come to save you because you cannot save yourself. Behold, the king of the Jews. The king of the cosmos. This is our purpose to bear this king into the world. And I'll tell you, Mary already understands the cost of bearing this king. In part, she only understands part of it, but it's already significant. When Mary says yes to this costly call, she's aware of a few things. First of all, it's gonna cost her her marriage. It's gonna cost her her fiance. She figures, I mean, come on. She doesn't know that Gabriel's next stop is to Joseph to let him know that this baby is born of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that conversation? No, Joseph, I swear it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, she figures the marriage is over. She figures that her reputation is ruined. I mean, this is the first century. Three times she's told that we're told that she's a virgin and now she's going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Her reputation is ruined. And her body is going to be given up. I mean, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Every woman who has been pregnant knows what it is to give up your body in this call to have a child. These are all the costs she's aware of, and she still says yes. But there's even more costs she doesn't know about. She doesn't know about the cost of giving up her family, that in fact she won't be able to deliver in Nazareth, that there's going to be this census called, and she'll end up delivering in Bethlehem in a stable. She also doesn't know the security cost that Herod, the king, will be pursuing them to death, and therefore they'll end up being refugees in Egypt for a number of years. And she does not yet know the full weight of what it will mean to stand at the foot of the cross and watch her firstborn son die for the sins of humanity. All these additional costs are coming. And Mary says yes. 
Why? Because she's graced with this purpose given to her. And it's the purpose that's given to each and every one of us. That Jesus calls us in Matthew 16 that whoever would follow me must deny self, take up their cross daily, and follow. Every one of us who says yes to the following of Jesus is going to experience a cost. Peter had to give up his fishing nets, right? Matthew had to give up his tax booth. James and John had to give up their father and the family business. Zacchaeus had to give up his wealth. Paul had to give up his status as a Pharisee. And Mary had to give up her womb. And they all did it because they were graced with this purpose from God. You know, we often talk about the cost of following Jesus, right? We have, well, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship. But do we talk enough about the cost of not following Jesus? Do we talk enough about the cost of not following? And you know one of the greatest costs of not following Jesus is never finding your purpose. Never really living into the purpose that God has made you for, that God has called you into. You know, I remember when our eldest was born, I had this little sports car. It was a little 1986 Honda Prelude, little pop-up lights. I loved my little sports car. I just, it made me feel so cool. It's probably the most dangerous thing I ever drove, but I loved that little thing. And we got to the hospital, baby was born. We put her in the little car seat. We came down to the prelude and could not fit the car seat in the back seat. It was just awful. We had to end up pushing the seats all the way forward so my knees were up in my chest trying to drive this thing just to get the car seat in the back so we could get home. I knew in an instant as my wife was looking, giving me me that look like you were the one that wanted the sports car. She's looking at me and I knew in that moment that that sports car was going to get sold in 24 hours. I was done with the sports car. And here's the thing. Did I care? Did I weep over that sports car? The cost of having a baby? Yeah, maybe for 30 seconds. Why? Because we had a baby. The, the joy of what had been given was so much greater than the cost of giving up a silly sports car. And so it is that as we face the cost of following Jesus, yes, the cost is immense, but what we gain is so much greater. As the modern missionary martyr Jim Elliott famously said before his death in mission, no man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. No man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. They left their nets and followed him. Mary said yes. Because of that graced purpose. The grace of God's purpose. It's not just that God graces us with his presence and his purpose, but finally with his power. See in verse 35, that moment when Gabriel says, when she says, well, I'm a virgin, how's this gonna happen, right? We're gonna need the power of God to show up. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you know what that sounds identical to? Nearly identical to? On the moment of the ascension in Acts chapter one, Verse 8, when Jesus says to the church gathered before him, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
It's the same idea. It's the same promise. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This power of God poured out into your life. God's empowering presence. Every one of us has that call to bear the king in the world. Yes, it's going to look different and unique to each and every one of us, but the call is the same. It'll be the power of God at work within us. And let me be clear for one moment. I'm not saying God is going to make you more powerful. We don't need any more of that in the world. It's not about you becoming more powerful. It's about God's power manifest in you and me. That in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that my grace is sufficient, God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the point. It's God's power in weak vessels at work in the world. And this encourages us because there can be moments when we hear, oh, God is present with me, great. And he's graced me with his purpose, that's great. But I still feel very small. I still feel very weak. I still feel very inadequate and very useless. And the power of God that is promised is promised to every one of us in our weakness. And this is how God gets the glory. You know, when I was in London just a couple months ago, I was invited there, as many of you know, to be considered to be the general secretary for our global Anglican movement, 65 million Anglicans worldwide that look to GAFCON for leadership. Yeah, just a small you know, call. Um, and I, I, I'm there in, in London and I arrive and I don't even know if this is gonna happen or not. And I'm still trying to figure out why would they even ask me to be considered. And, and they, they bring me in, they sit me down when I arrive and I'm exhausted from an overnight flight and I'm sat down at the table with all the world's leading archbishops. And they're all just telling stories and sharing jokes. And, and I'm like, what am I doing at this table? Like I am so not the right person to have anything to do with these leaders of men. And I think one of them, could see the look of terror in my eyes. And as we broke up our, uh, our lunch, uh, it was Archbishop Peter Akinola, the Archbishop of Nigeria, one of the founding fathers of our movement, who grabbed me, and, and only as a Nigerian bishop can do, Archbishop sort of grabbed me and forced me across the room and sort of pinned me against the wall and, and looked at me and he said, you are called to this. And he said, and God's call always is attached to God's grace. And then he spoke those words of Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And then he walked away. And I was like, whoa, that was something. <laughs> but that's the point. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. His power brought to bear in our lives, in Mary's life, in the disciples' life, and in your and my life today. And this is how God gets the glory because when the world looks and sees us actually bearing the king into the world, they'll say, how is it possible that y'all could do this? You, the weak things of the world. And that's when God gets the glory. From the words of 2 Corinthians chapter four, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So how can Mary say yes to this costly call? 
here on the fourth Sunday of Advent as we prepare for Christmas to finally arrive, as we prepare after all the busyness of this Christmas season before us to then be going out into the world and again in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, bearing that king to the world, how can we say yes to that costly call? Mary could do it because she's full of grace. You and I can do it because we too, by God's grace, are full of grace. Graced with his presence, I will never leave you or forsake you. Graced with his purpose, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. Graced with his power, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Each and every week we have an opportunity to again say yes to that call as we gather here in this place and we hear his word and we receive the sacrament freshly filled and then freshly sent every week the opportunity to like Mary again say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.